0: Good morning. Good morning. All right, uh, we are continuing the series that we've been in for a little while now, called the Life of Paul. And one thing I want you to know is, when it comes to understanding what Paul did and the order that the events in his life, you know, happened in, um, we have one primary source that gives us that. Anybody know what it is? The Bible. Okay. Yes. More specific than the Bible. The book we've been preaching on for the past few weeks. Yes, Acts. Acts is the one primary source that we have um, on the, the life of the Apostle Paul and when he did this and he went to this city and he did that. Most everything that we kind of know, um, trying to put his life in order, is from the book of Acts. That was a, that's a book of the Bible that's written by Luke. Um, however, there is another source, also within the Bible, there is another source that we have about Paul's life that supplements what we have in Acts. Does anybody know what that is? Okay, or what those are? Anybody know? Yes, the letters of Paul. So we have the book of Acts, which is written more like a biography, like he did this, he did that. It's written by someone else about Paul. But then we also have letters that Paul wrote at the time. Um, And so those those kind of supplement what we know that Luke said in order to figure out things that happened in Paul's life. Now, letters are not always as good as biographical accounts in telling someone's life story because they weren't meant to do that right? Letters are meant for someone to communicate something to whoever they're writing the letter to, not to be something biographical. So for instance, if I were trying to write a biography about your life, and imagine the only, the only source material I was given is just 12 random emails that you have sent, It would be very difficult for me to reconstruct your life story from it, right? If I was just given 12 emails that you've sent off, not even like 12 in a row, just like this one and then one that's from a year later, and then these two, there was one in the middle, but you don't send me the one in the middle, just like 12 random emails that you've written, it would be very hard for me to construct the story of your life, as it would be with Paul if we did not have the book of Acts. However, the letters that Paul wrote do contain biographical information in them. Um, so, for instance, imagine I am, I'm trying to write a biography about your life and I have like emails or, or texts that you've written, I'd be able to figure out something from that, you know, like let's say I had a, a text message of yours, that's, and this is what you said, you said, that was a great concert last night, Josh, thanks for going with me, okay? what would I be able to figure out just from that text? Well, I'd be able to look at the date of it and then realize, okay, you apparently went to a concert, whatever date on the calendar is the date before that one, right, because you used the words last night. So I know, okay, well, this person went on a concert on such and such a date, and they went apparently with somebody named Josh, and they had a good time. It happened in the evening because they said last night rather than the word yesterday. Like there would be things that I would be able to figure out from your life, from a text, even though the text didn't intend to be biographical, does that make sense? Okay, so in the case of Paul, his letters in the Bible confirm several of the things that Luke tells us about his life. We read Luke's story and then we look at the letters Paul wrote and there are times where they match up and we go, oh, that's, he must've been doing that at this time, or oh, that matches this thing that Luke said in this other part, All right? But Paul's letters also include details about Paul's life that Luke leaves out. So what I wanna to do today is I wanna take the two and a half year time period that we have been covering for the last three weeks, okay, where Paul has been in what city? Ephesus. Yeah, Paul's been in Ephesus. The the last three sermon titles, you may have noticed, like they were seriously lacking in creativity, okay? I used all the creativity for the sermon, nothing for the title. The last three sermons were called Ephesus A, Ephesus B, Ephesus C. We've talked about what Paul was doing when he was in Ephesus, okay? So that what we've talked about these last three weeks, all of those passages combined, that's about a two and a half year period of Paul's life. So I want to take that two and a half year period. I want to add to it several more months because the next couple of verses in Acts talk about the next several months that happen. So we'll take the next several months plus the time we've been in and we'll put it all together. It's going to be approximately a three year period. And what I want to do is I, we've already seen a lot of what Luke said happened. We'll look a little bit more at what Luke said happened, but then we're going to add to it details from Paul's letters that fill in events. That Luke left out. So the title of the sermon is, what else was Paul up to at this time? All right. The reason why it's called that is because that's the question I'm trying to answer. We're looking at what Luke says, and then we're asking, what else was Paul up to at this time? And so that's, that's the goal. Uh, so if you have your Bible, you can turn to Acts chapter 20, and we'll read what Luke says, and then we'll get into what else Paul was up to at this time. But let's start with our text for this morning, Acts chapter 20. It's going to be just two and a half verses, very short text. I'm just going to read to you verses, uh, Acts chapter 20, verses one and two, and a little piece of three. And that's, that's going to be our, what we talk about as far the, from the book of Acts this morning. Here it is, Acts 20, verses one through three. After the uproar was over, let's pause there for a second. Those of you who were here last week, what was the uproar? Yeah, the riots, right? For those of you who weren't here last week, there was this guy named Demetrius. He was a silversmith. He was upset that Paul was going around and saying that the God that you worship is not not represented by a statue. The statue makers did not like that. And so they, they were rioting. There were hundreds of people, perhaps, maybe thousands of people that were all rioting in the amphitheater in Ephesus. They were chanting and screaming. So that's what we learned about last week. So this is the very next verse. After the uproar was over, the one we learned about last week, Paul sent for the disciples, meaning other Christians in town, encouraged them, and after saying goodbye, departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had passed through those areas and exhorted them at great length, he came to Greece and stayed three months." So that's our passage. That's the, we're gonna take the time period we learned these last three weeks plus that, and that's what we're gonna learn about today. Luke says that after Paul was in Ephesus, the next place he went, okay, in, his, in this story is, he traveled to Macedonia. Macedonia is this area up here that includes Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, this like top part of this peninsula. He was there for, it doesn't say how long, it just says he went there, he passed through those areas. So I'm guessing the word areas being plural means like these multiple cities that are in that area. Um, those areas, and exhorted them at great length, and then came to Greece. Greece would be the bottom part of this peninsula right here. Um, In this particular case, it's called Greece. Sometimes in the Bible, it's called Achaia. And as best as I can tell, Achaia and Greece are the same thing. It's this region right here. And particularly, whenever Paul went there, the city that he seems to have gone to every time he went there is Corinth. So I'm going to use the words Greece Achaia and Corinth basically as synonyms in this particular sermon because two of them I think are synonyms and the other one is the city in Greece that he went to every time. So that's where he went. So here's Paul. He goes from Ephesus over to Macedonia and then down to Greece or Achaia or Corinth. So that's the next thing that happens. Um, When Luke tells the story, there are no significant details given, right? He travels to here and here and Luke just says, he exhorted them at great length. And then what did he do when he got to Corinth, right? He stayed, right? Like, so that's all we have. This is, what, this is what Luke says he did. He went, he stayed. But what we're gonna find out is there were actually some very significant things going on at this time that Luke just doesn't tell us about. But we know from Pope Paul's letters, there's some very significant stuff going on during this time that looks like he's just hanging out somewhere for three months. Um, now, this map is interesting because we didn't have it last week, but last week, and so I didn't draw attention to this, last week in chapter 19, verse 21, there's a place where Paul um, is talking and he declares his future travel plans. And he says, okay, he's in Ephesus and he says, I want to go to Macedonia next. After that, I want to go to Greece. And then after that, I want to go to Jerusalem. In fact, he says, I want to go to Jerusalem and, I, and I, I want to pass through Macedonia and Greece and then go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So the thing I didn't point out um, last week, well, let me point out, first of all, do you see Jerusalem on the map? You wanna know where it is? So it's not even on this map. Jerusalem's like way over here, okay? Jerusalem's way over here off the map. So last week, when Paul says, um, when he says, I wanna pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, we didn't notice this because there was no map and a lot of us aren't familiar with the geography at the time, but maybe they would have noticed. That is a, like, it is, that's a weird way to go. Okay, let's go here and here in order to end up over here, right? Let's go west for hundreds of miles before we end up where I'm really trying to go. This is the way that, the way that Paul says, hey, I want to pass through Macedonia and Greece on my way to Jerusalem. Like that is the, I don't, the opposite of a shortcut. That's a really long way to get there. And Luke doesn't tell us why. Luke doesn't say why he would choose to go in a very long, weird, circular direction, right? Luke just says, that's what he, Luke says, he went there, and then he went there, and he went to Jerusalem, Okay, But Paul's letters tell us why. why. Why would he do such a strange way out of the way journey? Paul's letters tell us why he did it. And so that's what we're going to get into today. So this morning, um, I want to take the years that Paul lived in Ephesus, the months that he spent in Macedonia and Greece, let's put it all together and let me tell you what else was happening during those three years. And let's start with 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you have your Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Uh, this is, I don't know. I think this is fascinating. Look at this. 1 Corinthians 16. So this is toward the end of the letter when Paul's getting to the, like, the personal stuff. And he says, I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. Let's pause here. So the I here is Paul, and he says, I'm going to come to you. Who, who's the you here? Okay, I'll give you a hint. It's in all caps, and it's bread right above my finger. Yeah, the Corinthians. Okay, so he's saying, I will come to you, the Corinthians. He's telling these people who are in Corinth they're in Greece, they're in Achaia, right? He's talking to them and he's saying, hey, I want to come visit you. I will come to you after I pass through Macedonia. I want to do Macedonia first, then you, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. So if, if what we, thinking about what we know from Luke and the order he went in in the cities, and right now he says, basically he's saying, I want to come to you. So obviously he hasn't gone to Greece yet, Right? and he hasn't even gone to Macedonia yet, right? He says, for I will be traveling through Macedonia. So whenever he wrote this, he had not yet gone to Macedonia and he had not yet gone to Corinth. So where is he probably? Ephesus, he's in Ephesus when he writes this. I mean, we we would probably say the word probably at this point, but we're gonna keep reading and find out it's not probably, it's for sure. Okay, so I will be traveling through Macedonia, and perhaps I will remain with you or even spend the winter so that you may send me on my way there, which is interesting. He stayed in Greece for three months, according to Luke. In here, he's saying, I want to stay with you for the winter, so that you may send me on my way wherever I go. I don't want to see you now just in passing, for I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord allows, but I will stay in, what's the word? Yes. Ephesus until Pentecost. We know where he wrote this. He's saying to the people, hey, I want to go to Macedonia next. After that, I want to come visit you in Corinth. But right now, I'm going to stay in Ephesus. So we know he's in Ephesus when he writes this. 1 Corinthians was written while Paul was in Ephesus. And we go, well, what is the big deal about that? (laughs) I will tell you what the big deal about that is. The big deal about that is, first of all, we can take the words wrote 1 Corinthians and add it to the list of significant things that Paul did when he was in Ephesus. We don't know it from what Luke said, but I think that's a significant thing. He wrote 1 Corinthians when he was in Ephesus. When we look at the, the verses that we've been learning these past three weeks, we could, if I said, what are the things that Paul did when he was in Ephesus? What took place during that time? Those of you who've been here the last past three weeks, I hope you'd be able to say, oh, well, there was the time that Paul uh, baptized those 12 guys and there's the time he was preaching in the tabernacle and there was the daily discussions that he was conducting in the hall of Tyrannus and there was the miraculous thing with the aprons and the handkerchiefs and people were getting you know, healed and then there was the people that were practicing magic and they burned all their books in the fire and then Demetrius stirred up everybody in this crazy reverse pep rally and everybody was angry, right? And then there was the rioting that was there. And so you'd be able to list, like these are the things that happened when Paul was there and now we can add to it He wrote 1 Corinthians during that time period, okay? Another thing that I think is significant is, what this means is, if we're gonna read his letter, anything that Paul mentions in the book of 1 Corinthians as something that's going on in his life at the time is something that was going on in his life during the time he was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Like we can know what was happening in those, th- these last three sermons, all these verses that we've been learning the past few weeks. We can know other things that happened during that time period just by looking at the letter he wrote from that time period and seeing what things he said were going on. Let me show you some of the things. Let's go, we're still in 1 Corinthians. We'll just go back to um, chapter five, verse nine. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians five, verse nine. Okay, little short, little Bible verse. He says, I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. This is right in the middle of a writing. Like there's words before this and words after this, but here's the sentence. I wrote to you in a letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I have taught on this verse before. I am not gonna teach on the second half of this verse today. I've talked plenty about sex lately. I don't need to talk about it anymore. I am gonna focus not on the sexual part of the verse. I'm gonna focus on the first part of the verse. He says to them, I wrote to you in a letter. Okay, so what does that mean? He did, like, so, and if you read the rest of it, you'd see he's saying, Hey, I wrote to you about this sexually immoral people thing, and now I say to you this, I'm clarifying this. So if he's writing a letter to them, and in that letter he says, I wrote you a letter, what does that mean? Yeah, he had written them an earlier letter. You go, What's the big deal about that? Well, the, what the big deal is now, 1 Corinthians isn't even 1 Corinthians. If you think that the words 1 Corinthians means the first letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it's not, because 1 Corinthians shows us there was a letter that was before 1 Corinthians. I don't know what to call it now, since, because it's the, it's the first one that we know of, but we, they, that name's taken. So we gotta call it 0 Corinthians or half Corinthians. I don't know what we call it, but there's a, something before the word number one. There's a letter that he wrote before he ever wrote the one that we have, right? Because he mentions that letter. So he'd already written them a letter. Now, look at chapter 7, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, it is, good for a man to, it is good for a man not to have relations with a woman. Again, it's another sex verse, and again, I'm ignoring the sex part for now. I want you to look at the first part of the verse. Now, in response to the matters you wrote about, so now we know 1 Corinthians, right, it's, it's, it, it refers to a letter that he wrote them before 1 Corinthians was written, And then there's another letter that happened. There's a letter that they wrote him. So that means at the very least, the letter that we have that we call 1 Corinthians is the third letter in a chain back and forth between Paul and the Corinthians at this time. So Paul's in Ephesus. He writes to the Corinthians. This letter reveals that they have this back and forth pen pal relationship that's at least three chain links long at this point. He wrote them, they wrote him, they wrote him. Could be more than that. He wrote them, they wrote him, he wrote them back. We know that much at least, could be more, but we at least know that there's, there's three at this point. He's in Ephesus, he writes First Corinthians, and in, the, these book, or in these letters that he wrote, he writes to them about sex, obviously, because he says in the last letter, I told you this. He writes about it again in this letter, okay? So he gives them instructions about sex. He also gives them instructions about uh, divisions in the church and immaturity in the church. He gives them instructions about marriage and divorce. He gives them instructions about the Lord's Supper, and how to handle food that's offered to idols and um, spiritual gifts and about the resurrection and about um, caring for the poor, okay? He writes about all these things to them. In other words, while Paul was pastoring Ephesus in person, he was sort of pastoring Corinth by mail. Do you see that? All right, next, Paul travels to Macedonia. Okay. Paul travels to Macedonia. The region there is where there's Philippi and Thessalonica. Okay. That's what Luke says that he does next. And what it looks like is, it looks like Paul writes the book that we call second Corinthians. Okay. He wrote that book as best as we can tell from Macedonia. Okay. So he travels from Ephesus, comes up here. So he's already written them letters. Like they've already been pen pals here. All right. And it looks like he travels up here. And then now they're pen pals here. Okay. How do we know this? I'm, I don't know, take my word for it. I mean, I'll give you, I will give you, I'm gonna give you a bunch of verses that I'm not gonna read right now, but you can read them and see if I'm correct. 2 Corinthians chapter one, verse 15, 2 Corinthians two, verses 12 through 13, and 2 Corinthians nine, verses two through four are all places in 2 Corinthians where Paul mentions Macedonia. He's talking about it. It sort of sounds like he's there as he's talking about Macedonia. He even talks about the fact that, like, um, I'm going to come visit you soon, and I'd like to bring Macedonians with me. What if I bring some Macedonians with me? So 2 Corinthians is written like he wrote it to these people from up here. What's interesting is um, Luke doesn't mention any of this, right? Luke just says he went to Macedonia, and when he had passed through those areas and exhorted them at length, Right? So what did Paul do when he was in Macedonia? He exhorted the Macedonians. That's all all Luke mentions. But what we now know from Paul's letters is while Paul was exhorting the Macedonians face-to-face, he was exhorting the Corinthians by mail. And I don't want to get too much in the weeds about this, but the book of 2 Corinthians mentions another letter, a letter that scholars refer to as the severe letter. Okay, it's mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter two. It's mentioned again in 2 Corinthians chapter seven. And Paul in those passages refers to this letter that he wrote to them. And he said that he was crying when he wrote it. He says, with many tears and much anguish, I I wrote this letter to you. Um, And then in chapter seven, he talks about the fact, apparently it was a pretty severe rebuke, whatever this letter was. Um, And so he he sends it to them and he says, I heard, like he said, at first I was worried about what I sent you because I heard that my letter grieved you right? So he sent them a rebuke that was severe enough that he heard some news back and went, ooh, maybe I, maybe I overdid that one, okay? Maybe I shouldn't have said that. And then later on, he went, no, no, I'm glad I did because it led to your repentance. So there's this letter that grieved these people, okay? This letter that he was in tears when he wrote it. And it seems to most scholars, if not all of them, that the letter that we call 1 Corinthians is not severe enough to have been that letter, which means, are you following? There would have been a letter in between First and Second Corinthians, which we'll have to call like one and a half Corinthians, right? Because it's somewhere in between those two. So here's the timeline for what's going on here if you're starting to get lost, okay? Step one, Paul wrote the Corinthians a letter, okay? Maybe from Ephesus, we don't know for sure. We don't have the letter, but it's the letter where he said, don't associate with sexually immoral people, okay? So that letter that we don't have, he wrote it at some point. Step two, they wrote him back. Step three, he writes them a, a second letter, the third in the chain, and that's the letter we call 1 Corinthians, okay? He wrote that one from Ephesus, we know that. Step four, he, it's, he, from somewhere he writes the severe letter, probably from Ephesus, okay? He writes the severe letter. They respond to the severe letter somehow. So that would be step five, they respond. So we're going back and forth here. So he says, he writes the Corinthians, then they write back, then he writes them, then he writes them the severe letter, then they say something back. The reason I say they say something back is because when Paul's letter, he said, I heard that my letter grieved you. You know, I saw that my letter had brought sorrow into your life. How would he know how they took his letter? They must've wrote him something back or sent a messenger or something. So step five is they wrote him back and then step six is Paul responds back to that with the letter that we call 2 Corinthians. Most likely he was in Macedonia. The letter that we call 2 Corinthians, which sounds like it's the second in a chain, is the sixth letter in a chain of messages back and forth between Paul and these people, right? And Luke mentions. None of this. He just says there was a riot, and then after the uproar, he went to Macedonia, and after the uproar, he went to Greece for three months. But all of that stuff I just described to you is all stuff that was happening in the background during this time period. So finally, Luke gets to Greece, right? He passed through those areas, he exhorted them at great length, and then he came to Greece. So he finally comes down here to Corinth. Now, what happens while he's in Greece? Well, according to Luke, he stayed three months. That's it, that's all we got, okay? We're going, ooh, what did Paul do when he was in Greece? Stayed, that's what we got, stayed, that's what he did. Is there anything else that happened? Yes, guess what probably happened while he was there in Corinth during those three months? You wanna know? He probably wrote Romans during that time period. Romans, if you don't know, if you're new to church, Romans is like big, super important book of the Bible. Let me show you from the Book of Romans how we get this. Romans chapter 15. If you have your Bible with you, Um, Romans chapter 15, verse 25. I'm going to read to you. Again, this is similar to Corinthians in the sense that there's this long letter, and then we finally get to the the chapters at the very end of the book, or the chapters at the very end of the letter, the paragraphs at the very end of the letter, um, and he's getting into the personal stuff. So he says to the Romans, Paul's writing to the Romans, and he says, "Right now, I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints." For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Remember, Achaia is where Corinth is. It's also known as Greece. So what's going on with this part of the letter? Paul's writing them a letter. And you can tell he's talking about what's going on in his life right now. How do I know that? Because it says right now at the front of the verse, right? He, so he's saying right now, like I'm, I'm describing what's going on in my life right now. Here's what I'm doing at this time, at this time as I write it. I am traveling to Jerusalem to serve the saints. So we know from Paul's life, what was the plan? The plan was Ephesus, then Macedonia, and then Greece, and then Jerusalem. So the fact that he's saying, hey, I'm, next stop is Jerusalem, probably hints that he's at Corinth at the time he's writing this because that's the next place he wanted to go. Right now, I'm traveling to Jerusalem. That's the next place I'm gonna go to serve the saints. Four and I look at this, Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem, meaning he's already been there. Like I'm, I'm traveling to Jerusalem next because I've already been to Macedonia and got some money from them. And I already went to Achaia. I'm guessing that this is probably toward the end of the three months that he's there. Like as he's about to leave, he writes this is my guess. Um, I guess it's possible that he could have written this from a different city other than Corinth. He could have, he could have written it from a, the, the next place he went. Like as he's going to Jerusalem, he leaves Corinth and wherever he goes next, I guess he could have wrote the book of Romans from there, but I don't think so. There are other reasons, other things that are in the book of Corinthians that make me think that that that's not the case. But you can tell he's gone there, he's gone there, and now he's going to Jerusalem. So what we can get from this verse is number one, Paul was probably in Corinth when he wrote Romans. And number two, and this is big, we now know the reason Paul took the long way to Jerusalem. Remember how I was like, why would he go over here and way over here and then way over here? Now we know. He was collecting money. The reason why he wanted, he was in Ephesus and he said, I need to pass through these cities that are nowhere near Jerusalem in order before I go to Jerusalem, is he was collecting money. The, the churches in those areas, in Macedonia and Achaia, were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. What was happening at this time? Why did he take that big, long, circular route? He was fundraising. He was fundraising in Macedonia and Achaia for the poor people in Jerusalem. So if I could have my map back up real quick. All right, so here he's in Ephesus and he goes this way. Now he's in Corinth at this time, right? So where's Rome? Anybody wanna know where Rome is? Way over here, off the map, okay? So Rome's off the map over here. Jerusalem is off the map over here. While Paul is visiting and pastoring Corinth, he is simultaneously teaching the Romans by mail and fundraising for the poor people in Jerusalem. Multitasker, right? He served God in multiple ways. And so since this series is called Life of Paul, and since all of the stuff that I'm telling you today could be learned from Paul's letters, I wanted you to know that all of this was going on in the background. As we get to this part of the book of Acts, and it says he passed through those areas and he went to Greece, I want you to know all of this stuff is going on in the background as Luke is powering through this story. Now, someone might ask, okay, Mario, thanks. That was a, that was a nice history lesson. What does any of that have to do with our lives? And I will tell you, at first, I didn't know how to answer that question. I thought through this this week. I was talking to my wife about it. And I just felt like I'm supposed to tell you this, like what I told you today. We're in a series called Life of Paul. I am aware of what's going on in Paul's life during this three-year period. So it's my job to report it to you, right? I don't don't know how it applies to your life. I'm just supposed to tell you it. Then my wife was like, you're not supposed to tell people things that they can't apply to their lives. And so I'm like, okay, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. Um, And and it is good. It's good for you to know this history behind it because it helps you to understand the Bible better. But I, I was thinking about it And this is what I decided to go with as far as how does this apply to your life. And the thing I'm about to tell you is something I've thought before. It is something that I've taught before, um, specifically when thinking about the idea of what Luke included and what he left out when he wrote the book of Acts. So let me explain it to you. I think it's safe to assume that as Luke wrote his account of the early church, he did not know that 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Romans would become the bestsellers that they are. You agree? Luke did not know, like as Paul is, you know, in Corinth and he writes a letter to the Romans and then heads off to Jerusalem, Luke did not know that that book, Romans, that letter, Romans, would be published one day and there would be, get this, five billion copies of it all over the world. He couldn't have known that. There weren't even one billion people on the planet at this point, okay? He could have never known that there'd be five billion copies of the letter all around the world. He could not have known. But if he had known that at the time, I bet when he wrote Acts chapter 20, he would have said, Paul stayed in Greece for three months and he wrote Romans at this time, right? If he knew there was gonna be five billion copies in all of our houses, he would have said that, but he didn't. And so here's how it applies to us. You may serve God. You may serve God in multiple ways. You may teach a kid's own lesson or volunteer at Royal Family Kids Camp or lead a community group or host a Bible study or lead worship at church. You may provide good counsel to your children or help your non-Christian next door neighbor with a problem that he has or provide provide money for someone that's in poverty or write an encouraging email to your nephew who's going through a rough time. Okay, But there is no way for you to know which one of those things will turn out to be the most significant years from now. There's no way for you to know. You don't know the future. You don't know how God will use what you offer him. You don't know how God will use what you do in his name. Luke didn't know that Paul writing 1 Corinthians would turn out to be a bigger deal than the Ephesians riot. That's my, that's my guess. Because at the time, you can imagine, at the time that it was happening... If you're there and you have a friend and you've heard these stories of what's going on, this guy's in Ephesus and there was this riot and there were thousands of people that were chanting and screaming and they were all angry at Paul. And also around that time, he wrote a letter to someone and you're gonna report what happened. You'd talk about the riot, wouldn't you? But 2000 years later, it's interesting to me that 1 Corinthians is a big deal. Every Christian I know has heard of 1 Corinthians. Even non-Christians I know have heard of 1 Corinthians, but hardly anyone I know knows anything about the Ephesian riot. It turned out to be a bigger deal, but Luke didn't know. Paul probably didn't know that either as he was writing a letter. He's just trying to help the people, right? They were asking him questions about sex. He's responding and sending off his letter. He doesn't know what the, he there's no way he could have imagined what the future held. And you can't know. You can't know how your ministry and your serving of God will play a role in God's plan for this world years and years from now. You you can't know. So, So what do you do? What do you do when you can't know the future, right? If we knew the future, we could try to engineer our lives to bring out certain outcomes like they do in time travel movies, right? But you can't, that's not a thing. So what do you do in light of the fact that you don't know the future? I think you do what Paul did at this time period in his life. Serve God in multiple ways if possible doing the best you can and trust God for the results. Serve God in multiple ways if possible, doing the best you can and trust God for the results, knowing that the results may not even become obvious during your lifetime. And so let me end with just briefly, I wanna give you two scripture passages that I think serve as points of application regarding this. The first one is James chapter four. Let me read it to you. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, look what James says to do. He says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will travel to such and such city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. You don't even know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are like smoke that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So he's saying, hey, as you live your life, don't live your life like you know the future. Don't live your life, well, I'm going to do this. And then one year from now, I'm going to do this. And I'm going to make this happen. And then this will happen. And the way I'm going to react to it is I'm going to do this. I've planned out my whole life. You have no clue what next year holds. You have no clue what tomorrow holds. Instead, we should say, God's the one in charge. Whatever he, whatever he allows, whatever he permits, whatever he causes, that's what will happen. And in fact, that's what we want. Whatever the Lord's will is, that's what I want to do. Not my will for the next 10 years, his will for the next 10 years. The other verse that I wanted to show you, and this one just so happens to come from the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm going to read you verse 58, but I want to give you the context before I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the whole chapter is about the resurrection, starts talking about Jesus' resurrection first. Then it talks about the resurrection of God's people one day when Jesus comes back, that people that believe in Jesus will come back to life and then live with God forever. And there's a place in there where he talks about how when Jesus comes back, people who trusted in Jesus will be brought back to life. And it says um, that those of us who are mortal, meaning like able to die, will be clothed with immortality that there's coming a day when Jesus comes back and he's gonna take people who are able to die and turn us into people who cannot die. And then we will live with God forever. And he says, at that point, death will be defeated. And then he says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, that we will have victory over death one day because of what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place so that we would not have to experience eternal death. Jesus rose again from the grave so that he could raise us again from the grave, that there is an eternal life. And so in light of that, he then says this. So this is 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. He says, therefore, and the therefore is referring to what he just said before, because Jesus is gonna come back and bring us back to life and we're gonna live forever, because that's true, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain it's gonna matter. It's gonna matter a thousand years from now. Now here's the thing, if, if you just live your life, if this is the way the life, work, life works, is you just, you're alive, and you live for as long as you can, and then you die. And then after you die, you stay dead. As atheism would teach us, right? And probably not just atheism, there's probably other worldviews that would say the same thing, okay? If life is just you live, and then you die, and then you stay dead then it sort of doesn't really matter in the long term what you do with this life, especially the way it affects things after your lifetime. You won't even be there. This whole, I'm going to leave a legacy, right? And oh, like, you know, I'm going to live my life in such a way that when I'm gone, the people are going to do this. Like, what if it turns out to be true that you do something significantly good for the world and it gets discovered 20 years after your death? If you just die and stay dead, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be around to enjoy it. You won't exist to know that it even happened. But if 20 years after your death, you will still exist. If there's coming a day where God undoes death and we live with him forever because of what Jesus did on the cross, then you could say that excelling in the Lord's work is not a waste of time. Excelling in the Lord's work is important because you can know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It'll matter a million years from now. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for Luke and the stuff that he wrote down. And sometimes he wrote down a whole lot of details for us. And other times it just, he stayed there for three months and we we don't know a whole lot from Luke's perspective what happened. I thank you that we have the letters of Paul And we can figure out other things that we wouldn't otherwise know. So I thank you that you've not left us in the dark. You've revealed a lot of things to us that we need to know and we thank you for that. I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that we would not be people who live arrogantly as if we control our futures. And I'll just do this and then this and then this because I know everything that's coming in my life. We don't know. And so we humbly like submit ourselves to you. We say, we don't know what the future holds and we believe that you do. You're in control of everything and we submit to you. And in fact, we want to do your will, not our will. And we thank you so much for the gospel. Thank think that you would raise us up again to life so that the work we do now is not something that just dies when we die. And who cares? And everybody forgets it. No, we can sell excel in your work, not even knowing for sure which things are a big deal and which things are a small deal. We won't even know it probably in our lifetime in a lot of cases, but we can know that serving you matters and it is not a waste of our time. And so we thank you for that. And we love you. And we thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Jesus, for eternal life and rescuing us from our sins and judgment. I pray you'd use the words that we learned today to shape us into the kind of people you want us to be, that we believe what we should believe, that we do what we should do, that we feel the way we should feel. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. 2 Corinthians 15 says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is good news.